0: Hey everybody, this is Rachel. I am here with Alex from Floyd County. This amazing group of people, and Alex is among them, recently successfully started a union. Uh, And if you don't know who Floyd County is, they are the people who make Archer, a TV show you have probably heard of at least once. Uh, And a thing you might not know, uh, but anybody who's ever worked in the animation industry in Atlanta does know, being an animator sucks. (laughs) it's it's a shitty job actually (laughs) it's one of those jobs and I, i say this uh from experience and i think you'll probably agree with me the cooler the job is on paper the worse the working conditions are almost every time
1: Oh God, that's kind of true. I, I, mm-hmm. I hate to tell all of the um, Scout undergrads that are currently working towards I don't know working in an animation studio like
0: yeah oh,
1: I, I'm sorry it's it looks exciting the work the work will look amazing afterwards, but it's mm-hmm. gonna suck.
0: Yeah, you have no idea how much time you were going to spend trying to get one single elbow to anchor right, but you will.
1: (laughs) Oh, dear God, you just hit me in the PTSD.
0: I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, and I mean, that's the thing is, like, (laughs) at the end of the day, these are jobs. They are production jobs. You are making things. And that's hard work. And it does operate kind of like a factory. Uh, And in spite of the cool factor, in spite of how cool the product itself is, right, y'all are still workers
1: you can blame disney for that oh
0: like the whole like imagineering thing
1: oh i I mean yeah like you know like the actual guy disney he's the one who um current infrastructure that that we now use in terms of animation sorry the production line right the production line yes
0: creative infrastructure slash production line actually you know and it's a good sort of nod to what disney the corporation is best at which is making horrific working conditions sound fun
1: Yes. Yes, it is. Um. Oh, boy. Um,
0: Sorry. I know. I, no, no, I told no, you it's... before this we're going to make it sound cool, but it is kind of cool, right? Because unions, which is what you have done, exist specifically to make these horrible corporate leviathans less powerful and less able to dictate your lives, right?
1: Oh, boy. You... Uh. Well, actually, yeah, you have every idea every idea. So, yes, mm-hmm. that's exactly it. At the end of the day, the only thing that matters is the product that comes out of the studio. And at the end of the day, it's what matters is that the studio makes money and that the studio looks good. Yeah. Even if you are part of, you are just a small part of a studio until who knows, maybe you're not.
0: Right. If you get very lucky and kiss the right asses, you might become a creative director and then things will get serious. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I mean, it's the same as any other industry really. And I think actually this is a good sort of segue to the first thing I wanted to talk to you about, right? Because, You have to have a lot of popular will to make a union happen, right? People have to be really singularly devoted to the cause of starting this union. And I thought it would be a good place to start just to sort of talk about the reasons people wanted to start a union. We've kind of hinted at it here, obviously, like cool jobs have shitty labor conditions, but it's not just about that, right? There's a whole lot of reasons that people might do it.
1: Yes. So the thing about an animation job or generally an animation studio is it's very much like most other jobs that employ tons and tons of people. And as a result, well, it has a lot of the same pitfalls as many of those other companies that have nothing to do with animation. So one of the things that we wanted at our studio, which is why we formed the union in the first place, is so that we have an equal voice, a collective voice as workers with upper management because of things like, um, well, we want equal pay for every single employee. We want to have programs or whatever it is to make sure that people are held accountable in the case of sexual harassment or harassment in general.
0: Right. So tell me about that. Like what, I guess, what was the process, right? What process would you like to see? And what are the ways this union can help empower y'all and empower people to, you know, be protected from this? and have recourse when it happens.
1: Well, it would be great if we had actual rules, you know, like ones that are written inside of our employee handbooks. I mean, there's probably a small section there, but to be honest, we don't necessarily have a procedure in place, a solid procedure in order to deal with it. And when I say that, or if I bring that up at work, they're going to tell us that our current procedure specifically is to contact HR, to report it to HR. And they say that if they receive a complaint, someone will look into it, but we don't necessarily know what that means. We don't necessarily know if it'll be, how it will be investigated and what will be done in the meantime if someone reports it so for example let's say that I have a problem where another worker who is technically higher up than I am on the totem pole is consistently harassing me. I report it to HR. I tell them exactly what's going on and they say that they're going to look into it. Okay. Um. How long is it going to take for them to look into it? I don't know. I, I don't know. Am I going to be protected until then? Are they going to talk to this person directly or or are they going to do some investigating ask other people around them or how how am I protected during this situation? You know, there's no real solid answer for that. Even though they do tell us that you are protected and you will receive no retaliation, but But like, how
0: do you know? Yeah, because this is a thing we had to deal with a lot uh, when setting up our harassment grievance process for Atlanta DSA. And I was part of the team that tried to set this up in the first place. Um, And people who listen to the show a lot will know I have this like really heavy emphasis on restorative justice. Right. Yeah. But we were butting up against this over and over again. Like people wanted to document everything. And it's like, okay, but we can't just put people's names and identifying information in this. And it was like way more of a debate than it really even needed to be, Uh, not with like in the chapter, but with national. Exactly. And, you know, there are also often in offices, you know, political alignments, right? So if the person who's doing the harassing is very popular, and, you know, is perhaps friendly with HR, how do you know HR is going to have your back? What can you do about something like that?
1: Exactly. And one of the biggest problems is that technically HR is kind of up there in the higher levels of the clicks. you know, when I say the clicks, I mean, like the directors, the art directors, not right. just like, and then below it is are like the departments and then the workers below the departments, or you never know how exactly it's divided. Because at the end of the day, the animation industry and a studio will cycle through workers so fast, like, right, these, like, it's not uncommon for people to be on a show for just one season or less
0: oh yeah turnover is ridiculous like (laughs) and I think a lot of times animation studios at least in Atlanta will sort of game the numbers a little bit by having like interns or having like contract workers you know and it's like well we only hired you on for a six month contract so it's not a big deal that you don't have a job now right like we might hire you again later it's fine and there's this sort of like insecurity to it and we see this actually not even just in animation studios but really in creative jobs generally where employers will try to sort of get around the high turnover rate by only occasionally hiring people full time at all. Exactly.
1: And that's kind of the idea. That's how they keep rates low. They hire workers, they expect them to have a certain level of proficiency, but at the same time, they kind of expect that they'll only be working for a short period of time, and they kind of help generate that kind of environment. I mean, most people that come in, yeah, they're hired, they know the programs they're supposed to do, they have an understanding of animation, but with every single animated project and every single studio, there are always tiny little nuances that matter. And that's the thing that you can't, that you don't come into every single studio with. Like, for example, uh, the elbows, you know, like, making right, sure right. <laughs> yeah it's always like it's always those little things that no one ever sees like mm-hmm. being able, like the elbow being able to curve and move move smoothly people watching the show have no idea that those things are actually disconnected or they're overlapping and they just like they're done in a very very specific way right so either seem natural or invisible and when you come in you don't know exactly how that's supposed to go and they don't really train you on how to it. No. well
0: yeah. and the thing is the software people use for this right I think y'all are a toon boom studio uh, the studio I was at actually used animate and a couple other ones we were weird
1: oh actually about this we actually still for archer i don't think this is a secret we still use adobe illustrator
0: yeah yeah
1: yeah instead Yeah, Which is Mm
0: -hmm. would be totally fine if you were also using Animate, but you're using Toon Boom. So there's a whole bunch of extra overhead there. And what I was sort of getting at, and this ties in, I think, well with what you're saying, the software that we use to produce these, you know, animations, these games, whatever, it's very open-ended. And so everybody has different sort of standards and practices for how they organize information uh, and for how they, you know, develop their hierarchies and how they sort of name their layers or group, you know, appendages or whatever type of task, right? Those are the little nuances you're talking about. And it's like drinking from a fire hose when you start working at a new place. And if you don't have a good process Mm -hmm. to train people, then you're just sort of floundering. Um, and I don't think you've said it explicitly, but I do think that was one of y'all's demands, right?
1: Yes, for mm-hmm. yes. One of our demands was to have a much structured and long form program to train new employees and current employees. Because, yeah, you can't expect to just receive a bunch of notes and automatically get it. I mean, sometimes people can, but it definitely causes a lot of inconsistency between workers.
0: Right. And also, depending on what other factors might be influencing somebody's life, right? It can be harder or easier to just pick up on it intuitively. Exactly. It's all about communication, which unfortunately is not built into the process for a lot of these companies.
1: I know the irony. And we work so close together with each other, Mm -hmm. like literally side by side.
0: Yeah, but you have no time to talk. It doesn't matter how open the floor plan is. You don't have time to talk.
1: That is very true.
0: And actually, if you do talk, you're, like, frowned upon because now you're, like, interrupting.
1: I know. It's so disruptive,
0: right? Yeah. Yeah. It's difficult to uh, really form any kind of human interaction there that isn't just, like, meekly, quietly talking over, like, a water bottle. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when we were sort of doing the pre-interview for this, one of the things you mentioned was sort of the racism problem. Uh, And it's, as you were saying earlier, sort of related to this harassment process, but I think it also goes deeper. And I think it also ties in really well with sort of wanting to give the workers at Floyd more of a voice. And so I wanted to invite you to sort of recount some of that to me and to the listeners here uh, and sort of the kinds of problems you were facing and the kinds of solutions you're offering and what you would like to see happen.
1: Okay. I'm not exactly sure where to start from here, but let's go into a hypothetical. Let's say that we're in a meeting between the directors, the storyboarders, and your department. So for example, my department is illustration, and that would traditionally be the harmony department, the department that's actually creating and rigging assets. So we're in this group, and the vast majority of the workers are white. And of course, there are people from other different backgrounds, but let's say that I'm the only black person in the room. We're talking about what's going to go on in the next episode. And um, there's this part which focuses heavily on this black character and then they suddenly turn to me and ask so we're gonna have this character do this this and this and then they're gonna do this and it's gonna be great because they're in um africa by the way guys what do you think of that
0: and, like and, but, what do then, you think of africa as a concept
1: yes and <laughs> yeah. look, but yes and but they look at me like the only black right. person in the room
0: and There's then the, your and then, job is to either sign off or be the problem right
1: It's sign off or be the problem, or I can try to be the solution, you know, like, that's what I want to do. Like, of course, there's this thing going on here, but at the same time, it's like... There's a lot of misconceptions with this sort of thing. So, for example, first, why why are you just saying Africa? Africa is the second largest continent in the world. You might as well be talking about a third of the world's landmass as a descriptor. I mean, why can't you say something like South Africa or go even more specific? Like, why don't you say Cape Town? Right. Or, yeah, but, like, I can say something like that. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's really good. That's really good. That's a great idea. But let's go back to this and focus on, like, this mountain that we're actually going to be stationed on. You know, like, they'll do something like that to dismiss you and I'm not saying that this necessarily happened I'm giving an example like um there's a lot of lack of context and it's very easy for people to be tokenized and kind of just be used as, well actually I just described token. what well, I just described that like you're being tokenized you're kind of being used as like um a device to kind of pat yourself on the back that oh you did yeah. you did your thing yeah. you asked that one black guy if it was okay and you, you, right. didn't, you didn't really do anything
0: and, tokenization uh, is just about alleviating white guilt exactly yeah yeah
1: Yeah. or you know checking off a box that you did your due diligence or something you know
0: right right somewhere between cynical corporate maneuvering and entirely narcissistic self-soothing 100%.
1: one hundred percent. It's really, yeah. Honestly, like, um, I'm trying to put myself in the situation, and it's very difficult to kind of just quantify it when it's happening to you. You know, especially like in the case when you're just like a lowly worker in in a room where you're not exactly in the space to to directly confront that sort of bias.
0: You know? Right. Right
1: yeah it's well a, it's and
0: you know stuff. it shouldn't be your job that's a lot of extra work to demand of somebody that not only do you have to do your job which is huge and has long hours but you also have to do all of this education for free
1: it's definitely not my job to do that and also yeah it's definitely kind of like um it'll be a hostile environment if you do do anything about that even if you right. yourself are in the right because i mean uh we're in georgia it's an at will state mm-hmm. right? i'm sorry we we Yeah, basically they can. Yeah, so Georgia,
0: Georgia is a right to work state where your employer can fire you for basically any reason. Your unions are as defanged as possible, and basically we are, you know, just cogs.
1: Yep, and also thank you for covering me for my very (laughs) poor terminology.
0: Oh no, it's fine. This is my job. I do this for the for the people. I talk about this all the time.
1: Thank you. I do not want you. I do not want to spread some misinformation.
0: Yeah, well, no, I mean, and it's you know, when you hear something like right to work, right? It's very deliberately uh, framed in a way that makes it sound like a good thing. Yeah. But in practice, like, what okay, it means so is, you know, you are subject to at will employment, which means you can be fired for literally no reason. You can be fired just because they don't like you.
1: Or what they like to say, what is it they like to do? what they like to call it, Um, put you on hiatus or, or, you know, not call you back for next season.
0: Right. Yeah. And that uncertainty is difficult. And when you have people who have that kind of uncertainty, you know, you don't feel empowered to do anything that might rock the boat. And this is, uh, I know we're talking about racism right now, but I think that that is sort of a central power mechanism within all kinds of marginalization, right? Mm -hmm. It's, it's that power dynamic where you don't have enough space to authentically defend yourself or advocate for your 100%.
1: And unfortunately, it feeds into every little thing that you do. I mean, it, it definitely adds a little a huge amount of anxiety to like every single little thing. So for example, if you make a little mistake, or if you get a bad evaluation, or if you just suddenly start to work a little worse, while you're having a bad day, or let's say that you're just sick then yeah it just makes everything just a lot harder it, right it, it and multiplies. this is common in a
0: lot of workplaces right people coming in to work sick because they can't not mm-hmm. like they can't afford to miss the money they can't afford to be seen as absentee yeah I
1: mean... and it,
0: it i am sure contributed massively to the current state we're in with the pandemic right because this isn't just you know animation culture or production culture this is just our work culture in the country mm-hmm. presenteeism is endemic itself.
1: That's the
0: truth. Mm -hmm. One of the stories you told me, and this is shifting, but it's sort of a similar vein. You told me a story about a couple who uh, were working like the same job. And there were some curious differences. You want to tell me about that?
1: Oh, yes. So there was a couple that was hired around the same time. Both of them got hired to the exact same animation department, they got got hired for very similar positions, and they both had the same level of experience. But the wife basically got offered a much lower hourly rate than her husband. And she brought this up with the people that were hiring her. And she's like, why does this person have more? And they basically tried to gaslight her saying, well, um, he's coming into this other position with these other credentials. And it's like, yeah, but this person is my husband. And we both have been working around the exact same time. And I know that you are offering him this amount. Like, like he is my husband. I, I see. Right. I've seen it. But in the end, um, I don't really think that they gave her an answer. I- I'm pretty certain that they right. just—they um, somehow just allowed, I don't know, they just pushed it in and basically she's working at a much lower rate than he is. I honestly have well, to check, but I never heard anything other than that.
0: And that's sort of the power they have, right? They have that power of take it or leave it.
1: Yeah, and it's very strange because our studio in particular claims to be a very liberal studio.
0: They probably mean libertine, if I'm being honest. Yeah, it kind of sounds like <laughs> be honest yeah yeah <laughs> a little bit
1: yeah but i mean <sighs> And that's a problem. Like, we need equal pay. Like, why does someone's gender or their sexual orientation or their race basically act as an indicator for them, for someone else to pay them less? And it's so right. transparent, too. Like, it's really, um, and when I say it's so transparent, I mean, the people that are assigning the pay, they know who they're hiring and they know what they're, what rate they're assigning to each person. And it's like, right? are, are, you, are you serious?
0: Well, and what they're doing, ultimately, is they're shooting for the lowest number they can get away with. And they know... Know, whether they're willing to admit it or not, that they can get away with offering a lower number to a woman because she's more likely to take it anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's really messed up. Really yeah, messed
0: and I up. mean, we can talk a lot about the cultural, you know, mechanisms that create that kind of behavior, but at the end of the day, it's the power dynamic itself. And it takes it takes a whole lot to shift that kind of power dynamic. I know y'all have been working on this unionization project for a long time now.
1: Yeah, I believe it was two years, but to be honest, I think it might soon be um, closing it on three years. I mean, what month is it again now? Uh, it is currently April. Oh wow! Yeah, wow! I, I just it's pandemic it. time, baby. I know, right? <laughs> but yeah, we've been working on this very a long time, at least two years. And we finally went public with this about a month ago. Right? Yeah. And um, it's really sad to see that our studio that claims to care about its workers that really like the phrase was, we want to do something different from the rest of the animation industry. And we all understood what that was. They went into detail about that, like how they don't want to create a stressful environment full of crunch and not paying employees overtime and just um, burnout and cycling through employees. Yeah. But we're forming a union because we still have some so many of the problems that are associated with the animation industry as a whole. Right. Yeah, and it's not like animation unions are a new thing. Like the first one was formed in California in 19- in the 1930s and it had it was really hard to get that union, but I mean they beat Walt Disney. Right. They beat Walt Disney. <laughs> and he I mean, that they would beat- be
0: like beating Amazon right now.
1: Oh my God, it would be exactly like beating Jeff freaking Bezos. I mean, it's like, um, oh my God, like back then, they, I think they used um, gangsters to intimidate individual animators and organizers. So,
0: oh my God, really? Yeah. Amazing. In the 30s. Yep. You know, and I mean, we let us not take for granted the blood that was shed so that we could be mad about stuff like this, you know? (laughs) Like,
1: I know, right?
0: I, I think it's important to keep sight of our victories along the way as a collective movement. But yeah, I, I know y'all went public a month ago. I actually would like to maybe I would like to circle back a bit and talk about Sort of where y'all started, like how many people were in on it to begin with, who I'm not going to ask you who the first person to say the word union was, obviously, but like, you know, how y'all went from presumably just a couple of people to enough people in the in the building to make it worth it to come out and say, hey, we're going to start a union.
1: Alright, I'll do my best. I actually was not around when people first discussed starting a union. But essentially, like, um, I believe it was on people's lips for about maybe four years ago or earlier than that. But it was definitely on people's lips during that time. However, no one really started to form a union until two years ago. But essentially, people did have some grievances with the studio. I mean, um, we definitely had problems in terms of bias, racial sensitivity, work security, harassment. Oh, boy, that one is a big one. And honestly, just worker conditions. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But during that time, they realized that a few people might try to start a union. So there actually was an attempt to do this a little earlier, and they kind of shut it down i believe it was literally just a handful of people like you could count the number of workers who thought maybe they should start organizing a union on their right yeah using your fingers right
0: well and you know you hear people say like you shouldn't even try if you're not going to succeed i think that's bullshit actually i think a lot of the cases of people successfully forming unions require multiple attempts
1: Oh, 100 percent. Like, that's the thing. There's nothing that stops you from forming a union again. And the right to unionize is protected by law. So even if you don't get it, when I say you don't get it, as in you go and do the vote and you lose, you can still try again. And you should try again. Because the fact that you unionized in the first place means that there was an inherent problem that needed to be fixed that affected so many people at your workplace. And if you lose, I mean, those problems are still there. I mean, honestly, like if your employers and management is smart, they'll try to fix those problems. But ultimately, there's nothing that guarantees that they will change anything or change their mindset. So you need to try again. Defeat is not the end.
0: Right, right. I think yeah. that's a really good way of framing it. Have y'all had your election already?
1: No, we have not. We okay. Are still, no, we are still working and drumming up support. We do have a majority right now. That, is, that right. is 100% confirmed. However, we also need to be smart about this. One of the things that um makes having a union right now a little complicated is dum
0: the pandemic. Oh, no.
1: Yeah, so thankfully we already started organizing before the pandemic. Like we had meetings in a large room with tons and tons of supporters there. And um, we still had that support and we were still gaining support. And we do our jobs to call people up, reach out to them and make sure that they both receive information, make sure that we're checking up on them, making sure that they're okay and cataloging all all of the major events that happen at um, that are happening at the studio. But at the same time, when you're away from someone and you don't have that physical interaction, you kind of miss something. And don't get me wrong, there are advantages to doing this in a pandemic. For one, it's a lot harder for management to intimidate workers in mass. But at the same time, it's much more difficult to keep in contact with your support group in an organic fashion.
0: Right. Yeah. And sort of maintaining morale and also just, frankly, seeing each other's struggle firsthand.
1: Exactly. There's that. But on the bright side, it also, and and I I just want to add some positivity to this, it kind of makes it a lot easier for people to maintain their upbeat attitude about it. So for example, like they just heard, oh, we just announced the union. Yay. Oh, someone else is still doing this work for us. This is great. Or like, um, yeah, yeah, or if management tries to intimidate us, they have to do it through using a text format. And when they do that, it has to read a very specific way, so you or know, you it's it,
0: legally like, actionable, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Because you, know, like, you can't overtly do union busting, but you can do a whole lot of shit to union bust.
1: Exactly. Like yeah. you can't. Like for example, like um, you have to be legal, but at the same time, you can't. Like through text, you can't exactly create and do that weird stare, you know? Or yeah. Or like corral, like your entire workforce into a, into a room and talk to them for like an hour. I mean, you can try and do that. But, you know, oh, I'm sorry. Um, I don't have a webcam, but I can still hear you. or um or it's like, oh, sorry, my internet cut out. You know,
0: you can pull shenanigans. Right, right. Yeah, it, yeah. And so, obviously, uh once y'all went public, management knew y'all were unionizing. How did they take it? What have they been sort of doing about that through this process?
1: Uh, well, they obviously have been running an anti-union campaign. They hired a union-busting lawyer, actually. You're kidding. No, they did.
0: Oh, no.
1: Oh, no. Floyd
0: County, no.
1: no it's funny they're paying him way more than us per hour
0: that's amazing right they probably would actually save money by just paying you but but it's not about that right it's the principle of the thing they want to keep the power for themselves so what else have they been doing what have they been doing with this attorney who presumably has been telling them exactly how to stay within the lines and make it as unpleasant as possible
1: well, actually, first thing they did was they told us that we hear you, we understand that you have concerns, and you have every legal right to organize and try and form a union. You know, did you hear that part? Try and yes. form a union? Yeah, but, uh-huh. but at the same time, we at Floyd County don't feel that we don't necessarily need one. We care about our employees and, and such
0: amazing
1: yeah it's just like
0: you hear this comparison all the time but i'm gonna bring it up here it's like with condoms if they tell you that you don't need a condom you definitely need a condom
1: (laughs) oh my god like out of all the metaphors you picked you picked well you you picked one that i could talk about all day i'm I'm ethnically from cameroon i grew up in cameroon and um it's one of those places that's very uh I want to say religious in quotation marks, but I get you. Yeah, I mean we
0: live in the Bible Belt. Like I assume it's pretty one to one. uh,
1: Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of like that. Except like their arguing is truly futile. Right. Yeah. But I mean, um, there's been a lot of that. There's been a lot of um, you're in the right to do this, but I believe like, but I don't think that this is okay. You know, that kind of right. That kind of talk. So like, I can't
0: like, believe you would betray me like this, or that you think so little of me. That kind of thing.
1: Yeah, there's been a, yeah, yeah, been a lot of that. And also there have been um, I mean, we look at them as sneak attacks where they basically send out these emails about the union with a lot of misleading information. Oh, there was this very interesting email they sent one time that basically talks about like the risk of forming a union and one of the parts in there basically described workers as the undesirables and gangsters
0: yeah i'm sorry okay. what oh, how does uh- that work
1: Oh, uh, God, I'm trying to remember the exact mm-hmm. line that was inside that email, because I really don't want to be inaccurate about this. But there was a portion in this email that was meant to discourage people from forming a union. It was all done very legally. I believe it was from a handbook about that was kind of um, describing what a company could legally do to stop a union. I'm pretty certain. Wait, that,
0: so yeah. like, we're not gonna do this, but... That kind of thing?
1: Kind of. I believe the link. Actually, I said it was an email, but now I remember it. It was a link that one of our workers sent. One of our workers posted a link in the chat to basically describe what a company could do to legally to stop unions from forming. It wasn't necessarily like, you know, titled Union Busting Manual or something like that. It was more like a guide that basically showed what could be done legally. And they posted that there because essentially they weren't very much on the side of a union or at the very least, they felt like we were being a little bit too aggressive in our approach towards promoting the union. Yeah, essentially what we were doing regularly was kind of talking about why we wanted a union and why we think a union is good. Essentially it's us talking in the open in whatever sort of form we were allowed to use and letting our supporters know why we're doing a union and just letting them know a little bit about the workers that want a union
0: so, right right yeah
1: yeah. but they posted this link and one of the things that now, was-, was this
0: person who posted the link were they management or were they a scab
1: They were not management. I'm not going to say if they were a scab or not. This was something that happened a while ago, but I do remember the incident and we were very angry about this because we do. Whenever something like this comes up and someone drops a link or management sends an email, we read the entire thing. We read the entire thing just to make sure because they have been sending a lot of misleading information or information that is somewhat skewed. But in that link specifically, there was a portion that basically talked about how to disrupt a union legally. And it was basically um, tried to pinpoint the people that were leading the union. And it described... um, Right. I describe workers as undesirables and gangsters, as in try to identify the undesirables and the gangsters trying to influence the union or something like that. Oh, I, God. I would actually try to pull it up right now to try and read it, but I'm not sure if it'll cut off this string. Like, I actually have all this documented and it's, I wish I could just double check it.
0: Well, listen, why don't you go ahead and go check real quick? I'm making a note. All right, cool. So go ahead and check that real quick and then we can reconvene. Yeah, no
1: worries. By the way, I am still here. I am still scrolling through it because it is going to take a while to find it. No worries. (laughs) However, I am finding a bunch of other interesting little articles that they did send us. One of them was how they loved to, how they were trying to third party us. Like... Uh, essentially, they were saying that a union was the work of a third party and they, that doesn't really hold up uh-huh. that doesn't really um have our best interest at heart. It's someone else outside of the workers that is trying to convince you to um that you need a union when you really don't right you know? yeah, they've sent us little art messages about that. great. yeah, isn't it? And it's now it's been really interesting because now I'm starting to see I'm starting to remember that they have been sending us a lot of stuff.
0: well good. Yeah, we can sort of run the list when we like officially reconvene to continue the recording. Definitely. So tell me about these emails that your bosses have been sending you.
1: All right, so a lot of the emails that our bosses have been sending are classic anti-union type attacks, I guess. But since they're
0: all in text form, they're being
1: very careful to stay legal. But essentially a lot of the emails revolve around trying to make it seem like either the union is kind of like the idea of a third party and they're doing it for their benefit or that union dues will just will end up um hurting employees more than the actual than actually having a union itself or that having a union will take away will take away the studio's ability to Work efficiently. Right. Stuff like that. Yeah. So for example, there is a quote that they sent us not too long ago that basically says, um, oh, here we go support and guidance that you will need to build your own effective workplace organization and that you won't pay any dues at all until you have ratified your contract that is what we sent back to management in regards to the fact it's part of an actual article explaining how union dues actually works because they there was a long email chain and i think there was a long chat chain about how having a union is just too expensive for us you know and it's like things like that that they try to right uh, yeah and the object of just having um an anti-union campaign is to dissuade the people that are either on the fence or feel like... or kind of try to hide behind the people in the union that are standing in front, if you understand what I mean. Because... um
0: Right, I, it's the people who, you know, are willing to go along with it, but, you know, are themselves not fully on board, right?
1: Yes, exactly. And just to be clear, it's nobody's fault. Like, we honestly shouldn't even have to fight for this. But the problem is that... Sometimes your workplace is oppressive. Sometimes you just kind of just want to come to work. You want to do your work and you want to get paid. You want to be able to have money to pay for your food, to support your family, all those sorts of things. And going up against management is scary. It it, it is.
0: Right. And there's yeah. a lot of stuff they can do to make your lives hell. You know, Yeah,
1: exactly. Especially if they decide to target you specifically or call your livelihood into Jeopardy or make it seem like you're putting your own livelihood at Jeopardy.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you don't actually have to say that's what's happening. You can just sort of elude or pressure people to think of, you know, the union organizers themselves as suspect.
1: Exactly. And to be fair, like um, workers in the animation industry we sort of feel like fast food workers most of the time. Like what I say by that is we are constantly overworked. We don't necessarily have a feeling of um, control and a lot of times we are we feel disposable and because right yeah and because of that, it's kind of hard to argue or to create a space for yourself within that environment where the conditions where you work and you live and you function are better. Are genuinely better. Right. Yeah. And that's the problem. I mean, most of the time you're just happy to be working in it. They count on the fact th- they exploit a lot of people's desire to just like come in, make something cool and get paid for it.
0: Right, right. Well, and people, for the most part, don't want conflict. Exactly. Most people are conflict diverse because conflict sucks. Yeah. Uh, and a certain type of predatory person is entirely willing to leverage that for personal gain, right? And we see that a lot with capitalists and with the petit bourgeois in particular, who have, frankly, a lot more to lose than the full-blown bourgeois do.
1: Yep, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah and that's the very nature of the entire structure i mean they get paid more they're in a position of power and have the ability to make decisions that affect everybody else below them as well as yeah Sure. yeah
0: yeah well and i mean they also are so much closer to you know returning to the proletariat right and i think that can motivate a lot of evil from people who might otherwise not actually be inclined to it you know like I-, I think there's an extent to which they're trying to guard their meager share of resources even though theirs isn't actually meager right they actually have a secure amount but compared to the people that they're like constantly begging money from they have none um or at least that was a pattern i noticed you know in my time in the industry you know it's not just that these vendors have these power dynamics right but that they are vendors themselves that ultimately they are doing work for patrons and the real power is these really divorced patrons who know just as much about selling a refrigerator as they do about animation you know like they don't care they just want the money and it's yeah shit rolls downhill right and so i i can can't say i would ever agree with this right but i can understand this i can understand where somebody might be coming from if they are the owner of a relatively small company and at the end of the day they're not actually making all that much profit and actually it's kind of hand to mouth for the entire company because they are a vendor and because the people that are contracting them are trying to underpay them too yeah you know
1: that actually comes to another um thing that we want from our union we want to be able to see the books because we, right. we were, yeah, we wanted to be able to see the books and make sure that the money that the studio is making is handled and distributed effectively. But right, right. we, we don't know. We don't know. A- and like you said, it's about selling. Right. It's yeah. To them, it's about selling a refrigerator, and the studio is just a device meant to do that.
0: Yeah. 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 And ultimately, I mean, obviously, everybody who is here knows I'm anti capitalist, right? But this is why. This is why I'm not just against or not just very pro union, but actively anti capitalist. Because at the end of the day, unions are as powerful as their footprint, you
1: know? 100%. Yeah.
0: Uh, And what I would much rather do is just completely upend the power dynamic altogether.
1: That would be nice, wouldn't it?
0: Yeah, but in the meantime, I am so grateful to people like you who are doing this hard work of organizing unions, who are really fighting to make things better for everybody who's working and making stuff. You know, I... I get to do the easy job when I'm doing this, right? I just have to talk to you about it and make it sound cool. But like, you have to actually sit through all the meetings and read all of these horrible emails and like, you know, drown yourself in this so that other people can have it better. And I think that is really fucking commendable. And I appreciate it.
1: Thank you. We really do appreciate it. Like, um, I'll tell you right now, there are people in our um our union committee that do a lot of work, way, way way too much work guys if you're listening to this please take a break you know who you are i mean but they do such a good job they like um they read those emails that break it down to us and pinpoint phrases and articles that are clearly meant to gaslight and hurt us and we discuss it and we talk about ways that we we can counter it we make sure that we go to all of our supporters and make sure that they both receive the proper information as well as just stay up to date because uh, here's the thing i've fumbled on a lot of information that i've told you right now so for example like um oh this came from an email nope i'm sorry this was a link that was sent to us that sort of thing but like we have a huge system of people that are there to go through all that because it's a lot
0: Right, right. Well, and, you know, I said this a little bit earlier by saying unions are as strong as their footprint. And I say this all the time. Like, our power is in everybody doing a little bit. Yeah. That's why there's power in numbers. That's the reason we have to do this as a mass movement is because it's too much for any one person to do. But together, we could make it happen tomorrow. You know, if we could all just get on the same page magically, wave a wand, right? We could do whatever we wanted to. We can make it whatever we want it to be. Uh, And there's no reason it has to be like this. That's the truth. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, in the meantime, if people would like to support the Floyd County Union, support y'all, keep an eye on what you're doing, uh, where should they be watching? What can they do? How can they help y'all out?
1: What you can do is you can follow us on the FCPC Union Twitter. We'll send you guys a link in a moment. But make sure to follow us on Twitter. Send us your support. We post updates quite frequently. and. Honestly, you can send a message to Floyd County and tell them that you would like to see a union as much as we do.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I know a place like Floyd is almost certainly going to be very receptive to fan feedback if it happens en masse, right?
1: Oh, definitely. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, one other little interesting thing that you can do is on our Twitter page, we've recently been posting highlights of the specific animators that work on your favorite shows. It would mean a lot to us if you guys went and took a look at that Twitter page, took a look at our highlights and read a little bit about About the animators and what we do and why we specifically want a union
0: awesome that sounds like a really useful resource and thank you so much for talking with me for all the work you do to everybody who's listening thank you so much for listening we love you we appreciate you if you would like to continue to support Uh, Not Safe Media, which is the network that Not Safer Wonks airs on and also sort of, I guess, birthed. Uh, You can go to patreon.com slash not safe and help us continue to afford creating this content, sharing it with you, distributing it, putting in many, many hours of our lives into producing it and reaching out and setting up these interviews. It does take a lot of work and we love you all and we appreciate your support so much. Also, if you would like to check out the Not Safe Media Network, we have a lot of other really cool shows. We have Post Tech Radio, which is hosted by Ada Powers. We have Meet the Left hosted by Kenzo Shibata. There's my other show, Gay Space Communism with Paul Byron and Corey Archibald. uh, And it is really, really cool and really, really fun. We just launched it. It is about Star Trek. It is about society. It is about narratives and it is really ultimately about how we can get from here to that gay space communist future we so crave or you can even check out sentai truther club another one of our shows uh, featuring kennedy cooper and gravcast Uh, they talk about power rangers uh, and all the same kind of stuff we do on gay space but with a slightly different coat of paint and we are again so grateful to have you with us this has been not safer walks i love you all bye bye